Good morning, everyone. Uh, we are preaching through the book of 1 Thessalonians in the Bible in a sermon series titled Waiting Well. The theme of the series is also one of the major themes of 1 Thessalonians. Every one of the five chapters of the book ends with a direct reference to the second coming of Christ Jesus. This Jesus Christ, the Son of God, born of a virgin, who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross bearing the punishment for your sins and mine, who rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of God. This Jesus is going to come back again. And when he comes back, he's going to judge the earth, punish the wicked, and establish a new heaven and a new earth, a perfect world where God is going to come and make his dwelling among men. And so Paul, the author of this book in the Bible, is encouraging the church in Thessalonia, which is a city in Greece, to remember all of this and to wait well for the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Christian idea of waiting well is very different from what waiting generally means in our context. You know, I hope we all remember those good old days when we were actually able to do things like go to the airport, take a flight, etc. Seems like so long ago. Well, before the COVID crisis, in those good old days where people were actually flying and going to the airports, uh, how would we be waiting? What would waiting look like there? You know, at, we'd be sitting at the airport waiting for our flight. We'd be bored, uh, perhaps mildly irritated at having to wait for a flight. We'd walk around aimlessly, uh, buy expensive food that's generally quite bad and eat it, uh, even though we are, we're not hungry. Uh, that's the kind of, uh, this kind of bored, distracted, and purposeless waiting is not what Paul is talking about here. On the other hand, now imagine a bride uh, waiting for her day of marriage. Uh, her waiting is very different. She would be excited. She would be looking forward to, to the day of her marriage with joy and hope. And she would be preparing herself for that day. This is the waiting well that we are talking about in the series. Gospel waiting is not passive and inactive. It is an expectant, intentional and active waiting. The question I do want us to think about a little this morning is this. Are we bored and aimless, especially now in the lockdown, as we wait for Christ Jesus to come again and fix this broken world? Or are we waiting with purpose and excitement? We're going to be asking ourselves this question over and over again in the sermon series. We walked through the first chapter of the book of 1 Thessalonians through two or three sermons. And today, we're going to move into the second chapter. Allow me to read verses 1 to 12 from the book of Thessalonians in the Bible. I'm reading the second chapter. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. 
we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. This is gospel proclamation. This is the first thing we're going to be looking at today. Verse 3. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we, have, we could have asserted our authority. This is gospel identity. This is the second thing we're going to be looking at today. Verse 7. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is gospel caring. Those are the three things in this passage. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We pray even as we reflect on your word, your Holy Spirit would come and minister to us and meet us at our points of need. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to draw three things from this passage, as I was just saying. First is gospel proclamation. Second is gospel identity. And third is gospel caring. We're going to be looking at the first two things this week. And then, which is gospel proclamation and gospel identity. And gospel caring, we're going to look at in the next part of the sermon series. So let's start with the first thing I'd like to draw for us from this passage. Gospel proclamation. Sharing the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us both in word and deed, is one of the most important aspects of waiting well. This time we have till Christ comes again is a gift that God has given us. A gift, a time period, a gift where we can be on mission for Jesus. A time when we have the joy and the privilege of making Jesus known to the world. A time when we have the joy of telling our friends about Jesus. Almost always, this requires boldness. Paul begins this chapter by talking about how he dared to preach the gospel despite severe opposition. Look at verse 2. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but now, with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Paul is enduring two harsh realities here. 
First is the harsh reality of how he was treated in Philippi just before he came to Thessalonica. And the second harsh reality is how he was treated in Thessalonica itself while he was there. And I'd like to use the book of Acts, which describes what really happened uh, to Paul, both in Philippi and Thessalonica. I'd like to uh, uh, just refer to that to help us understand what's really going on here. Let's look at Philippi first. Paul went to Philippi to preach the gospel. And initially, uh, a lot of people, including Lydia, came to believe in Jesus. But then the rest of the city turned against him and Paul was beaten up. We see this in Acts chapter 16, verses 22 to 24. Let me read that out uh, for us. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded uh, to guard them carefully. This is how Paul came to Thessalonica, having been beaten up and bruised in Philippi. He had to flee Philippi after this uh, persecution. And yet, he did not stop telling people about Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the second harsh reality that Paul faced. In Thessalonica 2, after having beaten up in Philippi, in Thessalonica 2, Paul was treated badly. The entire city was in a uproar and they wanted his blood. So Paul went away. Paul was driven away and, and he went away to Berea, another city. And the people of Thessalonica followed him all the way to Berea and chased him away from there too. We read all of this also in the book of Acts. So two harsh realities in Philippi and Thessalonica. And yet Paul continued telling people about Christ Jesus faithfully and passionately. In Paul's own words in verse 2, he dared to tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ in the face of strong opposition. Paul continues to share the gospel despite hardship and persecution. Whenever the gospel is preached, wherever the gospel is preached, we will always face strife, conflict, opposition, and persecution. The gospel cannot be preached in peace. This is because the gospel always challenges the status quo. The gospel first declares that men and women are sinners and can never save themselves. It then goes on to present Jesus Christ as the Savior, as the only Savior who died and rose again from the dead to save sinners. Now, most people don't like being called sinners and uh, being told that they can never save themselves. People, people don't like that. We don't, we don't like to hear that. Uh, and, and this is in the physical realm. So there's opposition to the gospel. But we may not really think about this too often or too much, but there is also a spiritual realm. And in, in the spiritual realm, the evil one is holding people in, in bondage and he is dragging them to eternal separation from God. 
So when we preach the gospel, there is also spiritual opposition. And so there is really no way to preach the gospel except in the face of strife, conflict, opposition, and persecution. Now, if you're afraid of hardship and persecution, we can never tell anyone the good news of Jesus Christ. There's not only persecution and hardship, but there is also shame. We just read the NIV translation of of the Bible, which said in verse 2 that Paul was treated outrageously in Philippi. Most other versions use the word shamefully instead of outrageously. Now let me read verse 2 from the ESV version. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, Paul was shamed. He was shamefully treated. Acts 16, the passage we read, tells us that Paul was stripped and beaten with rods. He was shamed. He was stripped. He was shamed. I'm reminded of of the recent police brutalities in in Tamil Nadu, where a father and a son were stripped and, and beaten. That's probably how Paul was treated, but he escaped death. So there's not only persecution and hardship, there is also shame. Uh, I guess none of us have ever been beaten for preaching the gospel. And and thankfully, uh, we may never be beaten for it. Thank God for that. But we have all experienced varying degrees of shame in preaching the gospel. Isn't this true? Haven't we all felt at least a little hesitant or or unsure or or awkward or perhaps even outright ashamed when we start telling someone about Jesus Christ. Why is this? Why do we feel like this when sharing uh, something that's so beautiful and that's not just life-changing, but something that's eternity-changing? Why do we feel this? sense of shame, at least a little bit, or just as awkwardness. We feel this, we feel at least some degree of shame because our secular culture frowns upon upon talking about our faith. Our culture uh, encourages talking openly about everything. It encourages talking openly about our personal lives, you know, PDA, public displaces, of affection is okay. Uh, it, it's cool to tell your tell the world about what you're eating for breakfast, uh, lunch, and dinner, and what you're wearing, and what you like, and how you're feeling every moment of your life on Instagram. It's okay uh, telling the whole world uh, about your sexual orientation and your sexual preferences is is encouraged. Uh, you can talk about anything and everything because freedom of speech and expression is celebrated but you cannot talk about your faith. Faith is your private business. That's what secular society unrelentingly insists on. Even sex is not private but but faith, that is private. Oh, you you mustn't talk about that in public. You know, it's your private life. You know, you, you believe what you want in private but don't talk about it in public. You can talk about anything. You can't talk about your faith. 
Don't, don't you see the, the hypocrisy of, of our culture? What does the culture tell, tell us? It tells us, uh, be who you are. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't let society define you. Be who you want to be. Do what you want to do. Be thin, be fat. Show off your six packs, show off your tummy tires. Now be male one day, be female another day. Be confused. It's all cool, bro. Wear makeup, don't wear makeup another day. Dress how you like, don't wear clothes at all. Dance how you like, sing how you like, write what you like. Celebrate freedom of speech and expression in everything. But will you please shut up about your faith? That's, that's, that's real, isn't it? Am I making this up? This is the hypocrisy of a culture. We've got to acknowledge that. Shame is a shackle created by this postmodern secular culture to stop us from sharing the good news of who Jesus is and who, what he has done for all of humanity. How are we going to live in this lie imposed by the postmodern secular culture? Or are we going to rise above it courageously and winsomely sharing the good news of Jesus? There are two wrong ways in which we can respond to this culture. The first wrong way we respond is to by becoming afraid, by becoming ashamed, and by just climbing up, not talking, not telling about Jesus to anyone at all. The second way, wrong way, is that we become angry. Oh, my rights are being taken away. And we become shrill in sharing the gospel. Now, both are wrong. We need to be both courageous and winsome in talking about the good news of Jesus. We need to be sensitive. We need to be loving. We need to be wise, but we need to be bold. Paul rose about both shame and persecution to share the gospel boldly, not only in Thessalonica, but everywhere he went. How did Paul do it? How can we do it? How can we rise above this unfair sense of shame that our culture has attached to talking publicly about our faith in Jesus Christ? How can we do this? And that brings us to the second thing I'd like to draw for us from this passage. Gospel identity. Gospel identity. Let's look at verses 3 to 6 from this passage. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our heart, hearts. And verse 6, we are not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. I'd like to show us a couple of things here. First, Paul says, we are not trying to please people. Then he says, we're not looking for praise from people. And finally, Paul goes on to say that we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Paul is clear that his identity is not coming from what people think of him. 
His identity is not based on the praise of people or even the approval of people. His identity is based on God. There's so much that we can learn from and be encouraged by what Paul is saying in verse 4. Think about that verse. It's a beautiful verse. We speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. I really would like to help us get the full impact, the full significance of what Paul is writing here. Let me try and and bring this home to our hearts. Imagine you're an intern at a Fortune 500 company and you're straight out of college and you've just spent, you know, three, four weeks on the internship. And then out of the blue, your global CEO, the global CEO of the Fortune 500 company calls you and tells you that you, that he's decided that you're going to lead a, a team that's going to manage the merger negotiations, negotiations with another Fortune 500 company. He tells you that he has approved you to be entrusted to lead the merger discussions. How will you feel? It's going to be a mixed set of feelings, right? And obviously, you're going to be excited because, man, this is, this is a really big project that's, that's coming your way. Your boss obviously thinks you, you are good enough to handle it. So, so you're obviously going to be excited, but you're also going to be scared like crazy. You're going to feel inadequate for the task. Can, can I really do this? Uh, am I really good enough? What if I mess, it, mess this up? Sure, we're going to have all those doubts. But think about this. How is this going to make you feel about yourself? Despite all the doubts you have, you are going to feel good about this, aren't you? You're going to be pretty excited about this. You're probably posting on Instagram already. I'm thrilled to be handling merger negotiations with another Fortune 500 company. We love telling the world what we're doing. What does this think about this? What is this assignment given by the CEO of a Fortune 500 company to you? What is this assignment going to do to your identity? Sure, there are doubts and fears, but you're going to feel good about yourself. Your identity is going to be built up enormously by being entrusted with this project. Sharing the gospel is kind of like that. Sure, we're a little afraid. Sure, we're a little unsure. But we can, we still can go ahead on the based on this reality that we have been approved by God. That's what this verse says. We have been approved by God to be entrusted to share the gospel. And when the Bible tells us that we are approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, it's a trillion times more significant than the hypothetical illustration that I just used. And and unlike the boss who, I can assure you, is going to tear you apart if you fail in those merger negotiations, God is never going to punish you for failing to share the gospel. He is totally committed to you. He's going to back you 
all the way through. He's going to equip you. He's already filled you with his Holy Spirit. And he is going to totally back you on this. So when we reflect on this reality that God has approved us to be entrusted with the gospel, when we reflect, the more we reflect on this reality, the more we grow in the strength of our gospel identity. It's God's assurance. It's God's, God entrusting the gospel to us that makes us grow in the strength of our gospel identity. And we need to grow in our gospel identity in order to rise above the shackles of shame that our culture tries to impose on evangelism. Let's take just another moment to to allow the full weight of this verse to to sink in. Let's try try and grasp the full impact of this verse. The sacrifice of his beloved son Christ Jesus on the cross is the most important thing that God has ever done. He has put, he put everything at stake here. And God has entrusted us with this. He has entrusted us with the job of telling the whole world, of helping the whole world get to know about this great sacrifice that he has made of his son, Christ Jesus, that we can be forgiven because he, Christ Jesus, was punished in our place. Let me give you one more passage which brings home the full meaning of of this verse. Uh, Let's look at 2 Corinthians, another book in the New Testament that Paul wrote. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. I'll read that out for us. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Consider that. As though God were making his appeal through us. Do you see how much God is trusting us with? Are we drawing our identity from this reality that you and I, each of us, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel? I'm going to ask you to weigh these two things. On the one hand, weigh the, the, the shame that the world will place on you for sharing the gospel. Weigh that shame. Consider that. Think, think about it. It's real. Let's be pragmatic. Weigh the shame the world will place on you for sharing the good news of Jesus, talking about Jesus to others. Weigh that shame on the one hand. On the other hand, weigh this reality that we have God's approval to be entrusted with the gospel. We have God's trust. We have the full backing of God to share the gospel. As you weigh both of these together, which are you going to allow to shape your identity more. 
I want to be pragmatic here. Uh, I'm not at all saying that we should never have doubts and we should never have fears and we should never feel awkward. And uh, I'm not saying we should all be supermen and superwomen in the gospel, just go out and, and talk about Jesus without fear. No, no, that's not at all what I'm suggesting. Even Paul wasn't like that. Paul was uh, beaten and chased from Philippi to Thessalonica. He was chased from Thessalonica to Berea. His opponents hunted him down in Berea. From there, he went to Athens. And then from there, he went to the Greek city of Corinth. Now at Corinth, Paul bears his soul and, and he speaks honestly about how he felt when he was sharing the gospel through all this persecution. And I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. This is Paul talk about, talking about how his heart is feeling. What's he feeling in his heart as he's sharing the gospel to so many cities? Verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3, 1 Corinthians. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. Paul was afraid. He, he experienced fear in sharing the gospel. Look at this verse again. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. So Paul had his fears too. How did he rise about these fears? The answer is there in the earlier verse, in verse 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Hey, we will all have our fears. But all we need to do is fix our eyes on Jesus, on Jesus and him crucified. Nothing can deepen and strengthen our identity more than seeing Christ Jesus dying on the cross for us because he considered us valuable enough to lay down his life for. Here's what. I'd like to close with. To grow in our gospel proclamation, we need to grow in our gospel identity. To grow in our gospel proclamation, we need to grow in our gospel identity. In order to proclaim the gospel loud and clear and winsomely, in order to proclaim the gospel loud and clear, we need to be deep and strong in our gospel identity. Think about that. So I'd like to uh, close us in prayer. As I close us in prayer, I want to invite you uh, to pray with me. If this is your first time and you're who we would call uh, an explorer, if this is your first time in a church, or an online church service. And this is the first time you, you've sung songs or heard people sing songs about Jesus. The first time you've heard a sermon, uh, you, you're exploring Jesus. You're just curious about him. Uh, I want to invite you to just think about uh, everything that, that I've said. And I do want to tell you that the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus, that Jesus died for all peoples, all nations. He did not die for just one particular group of people. He died and the sacrifice is available to all peoples. And you're welcome to explore Jesus, um, to continue to uh, engage with his teaching uh, at your own pace.
for those of us who are followers of Jesus, I want to pray that by his word, by his Holy Spirit, God will give us the grace to, to grow deep in our gospel identity, to grow strong and deep in our gospel identity, that we can proclaim the gospel loud and clear and winsomely. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your spirit who's moving in our hearts. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Christ Jesus. We thank you for your word. And uh, we pray, Lord, today, would you help us put our roots deep in Christ Jesus, so deep in him, Lord, that we might find the grace to stand courageously and winsomely in uh, being public about our faith and sharing and talking about the love of Christ Jesus freely, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray change us, transform us, help us to be your witnesses. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we will be your witnesses, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.